Good morning. It's good to be with you again. And uh, this is my, my last time that I'll be with you for a while. I'll be uh, next Sunday heading back down to Wilmington campus um, to be with them. And it's been, been good to be here. It's been good to reconnect with some of you and, and connect for the first time with some and to see new faces and, and familiar faces. And uh, it's, good, it's good to have been here this month. And I'm so excited about uh, just the technology that we have and the ability that uh, God has given us uh, to, to stream from here on Sunday morning down into to Wilmington. And uh, we'll be doing that again next month. Instead, Pastor John will be sharing, and, and I'll be down in Wilmington listening as, as well as uh, he'll be bringing forth the messages next month. Uh, but I, this morning, I wanted to share with you um, just a, a quick testimony of, of what God is doing downtown. Uh, that happened this week. Um, there's, uh, there's a young lady that um, came into the coffee shop about a year, just a little bit more than a year, a little bit less than a year ago. Uh, she was walking around the city uh, in early Sunday morning, and she was looking for a cup of coffee or looking for some refreshment, and she just happened to find her way into Loma Coffee. And uh, she sat down and, and had a cup of coffee, and we were having worship there, and she decided to stay. And she stayed, and she came back the following week, and she came back the following week, and she came back the following week. And she has been walking with us for a year, and uh, she didn't know the Lord, uh, was very, very far from the Lord, but uh, was curious to see the love and to curious to experience the love that she experienced while coming in. And so that what kept camp kept her coming back. Uh, she explained to me this week, she said, I never felt judged. I never felt uh, as though I didn't belong, but you guys cared for me and you loved me. And she told me uh, this past Sunday, she went home after, after service and she spent some time with the Lord. And in her time with the Lord, the Lord spoke to her and she gave her life to Christ. So that, that in and of itself is like the story of what God is doing downtown. Someone that never would have had an opportunity to come to know the Lord wanders into a coffee shop and finds Jesus. This morning, I want us to know and realize that no matter where we are or what we're doing, the Lord is involved in every one of our activities. If we know him, he is leading us. If we don't know him, he's leading us to him through all things that he is doing. And so be excited about that and be excited that God is still at work in your life and be excited that God is at work in in our city and uh, through our church. So this morning I come uh, bringing a message to you as we have been looking at uh, this sermon series, Noise Reduction. And we've been looking at ways in which we can quiet the noise so that we can further cultivate intimacy with, with the God of the universe. And so if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with me to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. So over the past, past few weeks, we've looked at specific ways or, or a, a number of ways in which we can develop or cultivate intimacy with God. And we began four weeks ago taking a look at simplifying our lives, the need for us to simplify our lives so that we can know God. God has made his self known to us and made the ways in which we can grow deeper with him. Very simple. It's not complicated. Uh, we just must seek him and we can find him. Then the next week we looked at solitude, the need for us to find space and time to get alone with God. That if we hope to go deeper with that person, with God, that we must get alone with him and spend time with him. 
And then we looked at uh, cultivating silence last week, the need for us to at times just come before the Lord, not with our needs, not with our cares, but just to be silent so that we can hear from him. And this week, we're going to continue our series and end our series taking a look at the need to at times come before the Lord and to just be still, to stop striving, to stop working, to stop grasping, and to just be still. So look with me this morning at Psalm chapter 46, beginning in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, bow, and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, we at this time come under the teaching of your word and pray, God, that you would speak. Speak so that we may hear. Speak so that we may be moved. Speak so that we may be challenged. Father, today, let us be aware that we are people in need of you. And I pray that in that need, we would look to you for help, that we would look to you for hope, and that we would look to you and find truth. Father, we pray that your spirit would be working in a mighty way in these few short moments, drawing us closer to you, convicting us of sin, encouraging us to continue to follow you. And Father, we pray that you would change us in this time so that we may leave this place different than the way we came in. We love you and thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I was a child, I participated in bug collecting. I loved collecting bugs. My brother and I, my brothers and I would spend the summer going around trying to find anything we could and put it in a jar or somehow capture little bugs that crawled the earth. And one summer, I collected bugs and touched bugs so much that I actually got sick for handling bugs so much. The doctor told me after going to see him that I needed to stop for a while because I was getting infections or I was getting fevers and it was all due to me touching bugs and not washing my hands, so. Wash your hands after you touch bugs. Um, But one of the things I noticed in that summer is what we love to do is grab bugs and put them in mason jars with the top on top, screw the top on, and we'd shake them up and do different things. We were probably pretty mean to bugs. Um, But one of the things I noticed about bugs is when you put them in the jar, what they would inevitably we would do if they didn't have wings is they'd go to the bottom of the jar and then they'd hurry as fast as they could to the side of the jar and then try to get out. And so if they didn't have wings or they didn't have special ways to crawl or claw on the side of the jar, they would just sit there and they would move their six legs fast and furious for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And inevitably, they were stuck and they would just stay there. And they couldn't get out of their predicament. 
But you know, I, I noticed that strange behavior, strange phenomenon about bugs. But there was another um, naturalist, his name was, was Jean-Henri Febre, who noticed another different type of strange phenomenon with a different type of caterpillar. Now, what he did in his experiment, uh, he took processionary caterpillars and he placed them on the rim of a pot that had a tomato plant in the middle of it. And what's special about these types of caterpillars is that they are trained by their nature to follow the caterpillar that's in front of them. So he arranged all the caterpillars around the the, the edge of the pot and their food was in the middle. And what he did is he just left them there. And what they began to do is they began to parade and to march around the edge, the rim of that pot. And they continued to do that over and over and over again without fail and without stop for seven days. And after seven days, after being fully exhausted and being starved, they began to fall off one by one. But guess what those caterpillars continued to do until they all died? Follow along the rim of that flower pot. Now, as I reflect on just those two stories, I'm easily reminded how as humans we have a tendency to respond in similar ways to life. Like in life, we're born and we come into this culture, we come into this this world and we live a life following the crowd, following the way that everyone else responds. And the current path that we live in, in this current time in life that we live, we live in a culture that is so fast-paced. Like it's inbred within us from the moment that we are born that we must continue to do, do, do. We must continue to go, go, go. We must continue to produce, produce, and produce. And our lives become busier, more full of activity that many times we don't know if we're coming or we're going. We have a to-do list that never gets done. It just continues to grow. And even in the midst of times in which God provides opportunities for us to be still, we continue to create ways to keep ourselves busy. Like this week, how many of you actually had a snow day? Did you guys have a snow day this week where you didn't have to go to work? Or maybe you said, I'm going to work from home. I'm going to work from home. You know, you know what that means. I'm working from home today. Because I'm not going. Like the Lord this week gave us a wonderful opportunity to just be still. Like you couldn't go anywhere. If you did, you were taking your life into your own hands. So you had an opportunity this week just to be still. And how many of us took the opportunity to take this still time and connect with God? Or did we find ways to fill our days with activity? Like baking and reorganizing the cupboards or painting a room. You know, in life, we feel guilt if we're not continually going, if we're not continually doing. But in reality, what is taking place is the activities of our lives are beginning to master us. It's supposed to be the other way around. We're not supposed to be mastered by anything, and yet we are allowing the activities of our lives to master us. And so what is taking place is as the speed of life is increasing, it seems as though someone in our, in our world is pressing the fast forward button. As we're moving faster, as we're trying to do more, as we're trying to accomplish more, we're trying to, to produce more, we become busier. 
And with the more activities, we actually are becoming less productive and we are producing less quality. Many of us would be here this morning, would be truthful to say, my, my plate is full. My plate is full. I just don't think I can add another thing to my plate. And you know what the world says to us? Well, you just need a bigger plate. I don't think that's what the word of God would say to our lives. God is not speaking over your life. You need a bigger plate. And one of the things we don't even realize is that the faster we go, the less control we really have. You know, there's an innate desire inside of us to control something. We all want to be in control of something. That's what caused the the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve wanted to be in control. And that's what set them apart from God forever. That's what sets us apart from God is because we want to be in control of our lives and we're grasping for it. And the faster we go, the more we're trying to grab hold of something to say, I'm in control of this. But what we don't realize is the faster we go, the less control we have. And this morning, I want us to see and allow the truth of this to rest on our heart is that the busyness of our life is the greatest killer of our intimacy with God. Busyness is the greatest killer of intimacy. Those that don't know God, those that are very far from God, they are right in living like that caterpillar on the pot, the edge of the pot. Because they're doing what's in their nature, just following, going with the flow. And so it's no, it's no fault of their own. You can't look at them and say, you shouldn't do that. Well, you can, but you can't say you're, you're evil because you're doing that. They're just living out what's in their nature. Following the one that's ahead of them. And what they don't realize is that they continue on that path, it's headed to certain death without even realizing that right next to them is the source of life and what they need in a tomato plant. Like, so it's right there. It's ever so near them. But the people, the caterpillars of the world are just continuing to walk around. And we need to realize is that we are no longer those people. We are no longer those caterpillars because Jesus Christ has set us free. There was a time in our life, if we are a believer, that we heard his voice as we were caterpillars walking on that path. We heard his voice and we stopped and we looked up and we saw him. And what he did was he stepped down and he picked us up off the rim of that pot and placed us on the plant. Now the craziness is, is that many of us are living our lives trying to get off the plant and get back on the pot. Life is hard. Life is full of challenges. Life is full of pain. Life is full of pressures. But God has given us great promises. And when the speed of our lives pick up and the pressure of life increases, we must remember these great promises and hold to them. And we see them here today in the 46th Psalm. Look with me in verse 1, look with me in verse 7, and verse 11. In this psalm, we see great promises of God. 
God promises in verse 1 that he is our refuge, he is our strength. In verse 7, it promises that he is our fortress. In verse 11, it repeats again that he is our fortress. So God in and of himself is our place of rest. God is our place of rejuvenation. God is our place of power. God is our place of protection. God has created this promise for those whom he loves. Why do we need this promise? We need this promise because there are pressures in life that continually push against us to try and get us to trust into other things, into things other than God. And here in this passage, Psalm 46, we see the psalmist identifies two places that people look for refuge and strength and fortresses. Two places that people go for security in life, for safety in life, for power in life. And this psalmist gives us two of them. He says, some look to the natural life Some look to um, trusting in the strengths of nature or the created things. We see here in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So we see here a beautiful picture of where some people find strength and security. If you wanted to find the most strength strength-filled place or the most fortified place, if you wanted to build a fortress, the greatest place you could go is to a mountain. Like go to the hills, go to the mountain. That's where strength is found. That's where protection is found. If you want to live life, go to the mountains. And so people sometimes place their faith and trust into the, the natural life. But then we see the psalmist here explaining That that place of refuge or that place of strength that people go to is not a reliable, truly reliable source of strength. Though it has the facade of strength and protection, it's not. Because what happens when that place of faith begins to be shaken? Look at the imagery here of these mountains. We see you don't have to fear these mountains, though they be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Like the imagery of that is some scary stuff. The earth giving way, mountains falling into the heart of the sea, that's not a peaceful, tranquil place. If we were to sit here today and see that transpire right outside, we would be fearful people. Many people would be running and screaming, trying to find safety and security. And those that are, that are found only their trust in that realize that in that moment when the earth gives way, their faith must be shaken. I don't know if you've seen the movie 2012. It's this movie, it's an apocalyptic movie that shows images of the earth um, totally like coming in on itself and almost completely destroying itself. And in that you see images of, of sinkholes opening up and, and whole cities just going into the earth being swallowed up or mountains just crumbling and trembling into the water. And it's this totally fearful time and it's a scary movie. And I want to remind us this morning, if, if your trust is in the created things, in the natural life, that's not a safe place to put your trust in. Because there will come a time when all of that will go away. 
But the psalmist here goes on and gives us another one. He says, there are those that put their trust in the national life. Look in verse six. Talking about nations being tottered and, and being in an uproar. There are those that place their trust and strength in, or place their trust in the strength of nations. Throughout history, there have been powerful nations throughout all times that have come up and to be, that have grown to become some of the most powerful nations the world has ever seen. And it's easy at times if you're a citizen of that powerful nation to say, I won't fear because I'm a citizen of this country. Like I have to think back and what it might have been like to be a Roman citizen, like at the top of the Roman Empire. I wonder what that must have felt like. Like to be able to walk the world with your head held high, knowing that the Roman Empire had your back. Like you could walk into another country, you could walk into a different place, and because you were a Roman, the world knew that you were Roman, and there was great power in that. But the question is, how many Romans are there today? See, if we place our trust and faith in the things of this world, in nations or nature, we know that there one day they will all go away. And for the believer, we see here in Psalm 46, for those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's no need to fear nature or nations. I love that the psalmist used both nature and nations in these times because those are two things that as individual people, we have no power to control. Like how many of you can control the weather? How many of you can control the ice? Now we can move ice around and and we can reconfigure it, but we can't make it snow or make it stop snowing. We can't be people that make nations or, or kill nations. So I love that the psalmist gives us these two things that are way totally outside of our control. And then the psalmist here says that, but, that God is in control of both of them. Verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations to the earth. He controls nature. He makes the wars the cease and the end of the earth. He breaks the, the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's in control of nations. So when we live as believers in this life, we do not have to fear. Fear is what drives us every single day. Like when we live our lives and we begin to encounter things that are are fearful, many times we live like that little bug that's caught in the bottom of the jar. We start to freak out. And we start to flail and we try to get away or we try to do whatever we can to make it right, to, to fix it. We don't have to live that way because God is our refuge and our strength. He is our fortress. So the question you should ask then is, is so we're not supposed to live that way, but how do, I, how do I get out of this? How do I stop myself from living in this fear where I'm constantly trying to fix everything? Well, this almost gives us the great path to refuge. Chapter 46, verse 10, we see that refuge is found in being still and knowing God. While we wait on the Lord to act, our responsibility in the way that we respond is by being still. Now, this is absolutely outside of our nature. The idea of just being still is is counterintuitive. 
Like when something happens, our natural desire is to do something about it. When things break, we want it to be fixed. When things hurt, we want it to be healed. We want to be people on the move. We want to be industrious. We want to produce and we want to fix it. Now this past week during one of the the snow evenings, my family had a wonderful opportunity to sit together and watch the Swiss Family Robinson. I love this movie because it's, takes me back like to, a, to a, a gentler day or easier time or just, I, I just love the movie and our kids begin to love it too. But there's a part in the movie that I love. After this family has endured a shipwreck and after they've, they've got what they could um, and they've got it back on shore, the father begins to think as being the provider for his family, he says, okay, what do we got to do next? He begins to think through all the things of how he's got to fix this. And he says, well, we need shelter and we need to get food. And so he begins in his mind as he's computing, he's thinking, okay, now we got to do this, this, and this. And then his wife lovingly and gently grabs his arm. And she says, that's not the first thing we need to do. And she pauses and she kneels and begins to pray. Like this family has just gone through like one of the worst circumstances ever. And we see our natural desire to want to just fix it and be doers, doers, doers. And yet the responsibility of of a believer is to stop, acknowledge God, and to know God, thank God that he's saved, and then move on. Be still. Another way of looking at that, that idea of being still is to cease striving. Cease grasping for things. This is a, this idea of being still is an exercise of our will, where we must work through training our bodies to respond properly. Now we do this in other areas of our life. Like we know that if we were to catch on fire this morning, if you realize this morning your arms on fire, your natural tendency, your natural um, response would be to begin to run. Because we want to be away from fire, right? We want to get away from danger and we don't want it to be near us so we would run. But inevitably by running, what we're doing is we're feeding the flames with more oxygen and more oxygen and it's going to begin to engulf our bodies and we will inevitably die. Now we're trained to go against our nature by responding if we catch on fire by doing three things. You guys know what those are? You got it. Stop, drop, and roll. Going against your nature. You wouldn't have to know that if it was in your nature to stop, drop, and roll. If it was in your nature, it would be like, you catching fire? Do it. But no, we have to go against our nature and tell ourselves we're trained in elementary school over and over and over again. Stop, drop, and roll. You catching fire? Stop, drop, and roll. So you're going through the pains of life. Guess what you're supposed to do? Be still. Yeah. That's easier said than done. I understand, but that is what God encourages us to do. Look with me in verse 10. Do you see those quotation marks? This is God speaking to us. It's not the psalmist anymore. These are the instructions from the Lord. When you see your life caving in, when you're going through the pressures of life, what are you supposed to do? Be still. It's also a posture of our life where we come to the place where we let go and we give control back to God. Why do we do this? 
Because God is bigger than nations and God is bigger than nature. Look with me in the second part of verse 10. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's God speaking to us. And he's saying, I will be exalted. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how good it looks, I will be exalted. That's my plan. That's my goal. That's what I'm in the process of doing. We must come to the end of human effort. For all of our best effort is futile when it comes to trying to control our world. but it's so hard to do, but it's so needed to do. Like our immediate response to life should be to be still. Stillness can be experienced through simplicity, through solitude and silence. We've been taking a look at these this month and and maybe you've spent this month really trying to hone in on simplifying your life so that you can have space in your life for the Lord. And then you've got a a place for your time with the Lord. And then in your time with the Lord, you've been reading his word, you've been praying, you've been journaling, and you have begun to be silent before the Lord. Maybe you've really tried this month to really work on those things. And then you've been walking through that. And if your life has been anything like mine, Like you sit there and you're like, I've got my place. I've got my Bible. I've got my notebook. I've got my pen. I've got my little candle. I've got my cup of coffee. The doors are shut. Everything's silent. I'm pursuing the Lord in my quiet space. And then what happens? Do you immediately go into this life with the Lord? Or does your mind begin to wander? Does your heart begin to wander? Do you begin to think about all the things you have to do? And as you're sitting there more in silence, more still before the Lord, your anxiety begins to raise because you're like, okay, God, I've got to get through this so I can get on the rest of my life. And your time with the Lord is not sweet. It's not special. It's because you're continuing to think, okay, God, I've got to do this. And these pressures keep mounting. And as you walk through these moments of being still, not being engaged in the rat race of life, your anxiety raises. And you're like, I just got to get done so I can be about my work. I can't afford to live that way as believers. Like if you're there and your mind begins to wander, this is what I do because my mind is in that same place. I, I continue to think about all the emails I have to write. I think about uh, the schedule of our children. I have to think about how am I going to love my wife today? Like, I got to think about, these things come in. Like, who's going to pay? How are the bills going to get paid? Like, when am I going to get that done? For some reason, I can go through most of my day and that doesn't come into my thoughts until I sit down to be with the Lord. And you know what I've started doing? Instead of allowing those things to to, um, redirect my thoughts and take me on tangents, what I do is, as I'm spending time with the Lord, I just write it down. If it comes to mind, I'm like, okay, check. Pay the bills, write emails. And I have that in a little column in my notebook just to write those things out so that I can come back to them. And there's something about that that works for me because it's then on some list that I can get to later that I don't have to do now that I can think about it later because I'll come back to that list. And when I have time, I can think through those things and how I'm supposed to respond. But there's a need for us to be still. But in being still, it's not just the the being still that we're supposed to do and then that's the end. It's not be still, period. It's be still, comma, and 
Know that I am God. So there's this the culmination, these two things coming together that, that work into being still. It's being still, but then you replace your stillness with meditation. Or you, you replace it with a mental activity in which you know God. So not only are we still, but we spend time meditating. And I love how in this passage, I was reflecting on this yesterday afternoon as I was um, just spending some time with the Lord. You guys remember back to where we were four weeks ago, what passage we studied? Second Peter chapter one, verses three and following. Well, this week I looked at chapter, chapter one, verse two. And this is what Peter writes as he's opening introduction letter in Second Peter. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And I thought about that as I was meditating on it. I I thought, what an amazing way that God puts the sermon series together. We started off, if you want more grace and peace in your life, if you want a more intimate relationship with the Lord, what do you need to do? Grow in knowledge of God. What does the psalmist say here? If we want to live this life closer to the Lord in refuge and strength, what do we need? We need to know God. There must be something to that. Like we must grow in our knowledge of God. This is the exercise of the mind and it's exercise of relationship. It's a time in which we, we walk through in this meditating, we walk through emptying of our minds of all things that are futile. And we fill our minds with the truth of God. Where we take time to think deeply on the truths of God. The psalmist here encourages us to do that as well. We can see it in verses eight and nine. As we meditate, what we are to meditate on are the works of God. Look with me in verse eight and nine. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes the wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So part of our time of being still is to move into a time of meditation where we think on the works of God, the things that God has done. Now, it's easy for us to do that even in our own lives. We can spend time thinking about how God has worked in our lives, how he has been faithful, how he has worked, how he has been our rock, our shelter. But then we can also spend time looking at how God has been faithful through the generations. Like we can open up the Bible to any page and we can read and we can see in it how he has been faithful. And if God has been faithful to the people of the Bible, God will be faithful to the people of today. So we meditate on God's works. But we also meditate on God's word. Look with me in verse 10 again. This is God speaking. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Meditating on his words. These are his spoken words. And so God has given us his words to know him and to ponder so that we may know what he is like and so that we can allow him to continue to shape our lives so that we be more like him. I love Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Joshua writes, this is the book of the law. It shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is accordingly to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. 
So do you want to live as a believer that is successful, like to God's standard of success? If you want to know the ways that you should go and the the paths that you should walk and the paths that you should not walk, Joshua 1.8 tells us that we are to meditate on the words of the Lord day and night. And as we meditate on them, they will help us be careful to do all the, we will be careful to do all the things that are written in him. Then he will make our way prosperous and we will have good success. What I love about meditation, just the ideas of the Lord, is that God is found in here. Like God has revealed himself to us in a very intimate way through his word. It's almost as, as like those love letters you used to get in elementary school or middle school. Like, do you like me? Yes or no? Check one. I don't know if you guys did that, but I did. And I remember as a kid, there, there was a girl that I liked and she'd write me a letter and she'd put it in my locker. I would keep that letter in my back pocket and I would, I would take it out throughout the day and I would read it and just study it and want to be closer to her and through this letter. Strange, I know. I'm the only one that does that. When we get a letter from our beloved, like it, it, we're enthralled with it. And yet many of us, don't take the time to look at the love letter that was written not only once, but that has been written throughout the generations that continue to explain and to show God's love for us. The sad thing is, is that we've allowed our meditations on God to be reduced to sound bites because that's all we have time for. We don't have time to drink deeply from the word of God. We want it. We want our relationship with God. We want our Bible intake to fit on a coffee mug. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Like that's, that's, that's enough Bible for me. That's, that's enough. I got it. I'm driving down the road. Someone cuts me off. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's great. And so we misapply these verses and we misapply, we misapply the deep meaning that goes along with these verses because we only want snippets of the word of God. We spend a lot of time canvassing the word of God, but we don't spend a lot of time digging deep in the word of God and meditating, munching on like a cow chewing its cud. We don't do that with the word of God. I wish that we would be people that would see, and this is my own prayer for my own heart. I wish that I would be a person that would see the wonderful truths and the love of the word of God and I would see it as a fire hydrant. And what I would choose to do with my life is to take my lips and wrap them around the opening of the fire hydrant and then I'd put put it engaged and just let the fire hydrant flow. Now imagine what that would really look like in life. Imagine you got your lips around a fire hydrant and you do that and you open it full blast and that water's going through you and guess what's gonna eventually happen? That water is gonna burst out of every pore and it's gonna get everything and everyone around you completely wet and drenched and you're gonna be the conduit through which water flows. Now imagine if we allowed the word of God to be that fire hydrant. And like we wrapped 
our lives and mouths and bodies and beings around the word of God. And we kept taking it in and we kept taking it in. And the beauty of the word of God is that you can never get enough of it. And what eventually happens as it comes into you is eventually going to come out of you. And you're going to go to work after being a person that, that spent time with the Lord and in his word, you're going to get it all over your coworkers. You're going to get it all over your husband or wife. You're going to get it all over your kids. It's going to be all over your house. It's going to be all over your neighborhood. It's going to be all over every place you go. You're going to go in to Wawa and it's going to be all over Wawa. That would be an interesting thing. Someone had to come in and clean all that up. But that's the wonderful blessing we have in the word of God. And I pray that we become people that meditate more on his word. So I want to end, end our time today just giving you some quick tips on how to meditate. You, you, you're fo- fi- finally sold out. You're like, yes, I believe it. I need it. I need to meditate on the word of God. It's something that my heart is crying for. I just don't know how to do it. Well, I'm going to share with you quickly um, six things, some, six tips for meditating on the word of God. First, you need to select an appropriate passage. Like you have to go to the word of God and select appropriate passage. Now, here's the thing about this. You have to go to the word of God. If you're going to meditate, meditate on the word of God. Don't meditate on what someone else says about the word of God. Meditate on the word itself. Go to the exact source and begin to choose a a, a passage of scripture that you can work with. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you to a passage that you can study and you you can look at. Or maybe you need to target a passage that's dealing with the situation that you're going through. Maybe you're having a a, a hard time with your marriage. Maybe your struggles at work. Go to passages that deal with that and begin to study them. So select the passage. Next, repeatedly read the verses. Read the passage. Slowly. Slowly pour over the words that you are reading. Meditate on them. Maybe as you're walking through it, each emphasize a different word in the sentence that you're going through. Third, I'm sorry. Yeah, third, rephrase in your own words. Rephrase in your own words. If you, if you are a person that has a notebook next to your Bible, take the passage and begin to rephrase it in, in say it in your own translation, in your own English. Or maybe even take the, the margins of your Bible and write in there. Rephrase it in your own words. Fourthly, ask application questions. Not the question, what does this mean to me? Don't ask that question. But Ask the question, how must I respond to this? It is the truth. We are not the ones that are definers of truth. It is the truth. And so we must come under its truth. And so what must I do to respond to what it says? For if we don't get to that point, if we're just readers or canvassers of the words, we forget that that's a lot like chewing without swallowing. Fifthly, pray. Pray beforehand, pray during, and pray after. As you come to the word of God, pray Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes so that I may see. As you're walking through the passage, continue to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to illuminate these truths to you. Pray and ask that he help you submit to him. 
and even pray the text itself. And lastly, have no impending appointments. Don't rush this time. Put everything else on hold so that we may spend time meditating on the word of God. So now we've come to the end of our sermon series. This is not an exhaustive list of things to do. We haven't covered everything that you possibly can do to draw closer to the, grow closer to the Lord, but we've given you some steps, some things you can do to draw closer to the Lord. And what's amazing about these things of simplicity, solitude, silence, and stillness is that they're not separate things in and of themselves. They overlap each other. Like they can, they can build on a, a depth in the Lord, but you can also practice them separately. But there's also lots of overlapping. If you go to the word of God, it doesn't just say just to be silent and then that's it. There's lots of other ways that we, we see these words being interchanged and these things being interchanged over and over and over again. So what I pray that you do as a result of this sermon series is I pray that your heart and your life has been encouraged and you now have a desire to grow deeper in the Lord in 2014, that 2014 becomes the year that when you look back on it, you say, yes, this year I drank deeply from the word of God. I walked intimately intimately with my maker. And the ways you can do that is to like, make a commitment, like say this year is gonna be the year. Make a commitment, if you don't already, to have a time with the Lord. Carve out time in your day to say, this is my time. I'm doing nothing else. Maybe you need to make a commitment to read through the Bible in the year. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've you've always spent your life just reading bits and pieces of it, but you've never as a whole read through it as one huge letter. Or maybe you're here and, and, and you see your responsibility as, as, as being a believer is just to come in church and just to sit and hear. My encouragement to you is that's you. That's not it. That's not all of it. Maybe you need to grow in your faith and wisdom and knowledge of, of God by being involved in the church, by joining a small group, one of the life groups or coming and, and being involved in Sunday school. Or maybe it's just coming and serving in the church. Or maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you still realize that you're living your life apart from God, that you are doing it all on your own. You're trying to control your life. And maybe today the Spirit has brought you to this place and you're at the place where you're ready to finally just let go. And I want you to know that this promise that God gives to be your strength, your refuge, and your fortress is found if you surrender your life to Christ. Whatever it is, let us not let, let this sermon series just be another sermon series that we hear with our ears, but that we do something about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for this time. And I pray that your words would continue to resonate in our minds and hearts today and this week. Draw us close and help us today to respond to the words that we've heard whatever it may be. May you be glorified in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.